Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. This is a HeadGum Podcast. This is Emily, Henley, and Sammy, and you're listening to Too Scary Didn't Watch. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Too Scary Didn't Watch, the horror movie recap podcast for those too scared to watch for themselves. I'm Emily, and I am too scared to watch scary movies. I'm Henley, and I'm also too scared to watch scary movies. I'm Sammy, and I love watching scary movies, and so I watch them so that you don't have to. And we are starting 2024 off with a real scary one for you guys. After Eclipse and Gremlins, (laughs) we promised you something something scary. Setting the tone. Honestly, I'm ready for it. Me too. Let's do it. I'm really excited to scare you guys with this one. I need something scary. I want to be scared out of my pants. Oh Hell my gosh, yeah. I'll be naked by the end of this episode. <laughs> Pantsless, just bottomless. Absolutely <laughs> naked from the waist down. Scared out of my pants. <laughs> oh, but before we get into the movie, I thought why don't we talk about our New Year's resolutions in, you know, nothing like exercising more or anything like that. No. We don't do that. And I won't, I won't resolve to do that. No, nobody should. Yeah. If it happens, great. But I won't be working (laughs) towards it. No. Um, what are your, what are your guys' goals or a, a goal for 2024? A resolution. This is a very concrete thing, and I'm not sure if it will happen in the winter, which is hey, you got a whole year, baby. I know I got a whole year to do it, though. Okay, I'm gonna say this. I'm really gonna hold myself to it, which which, I don't know how I feel about it, you guys. But (laughs) (laughs) I want to start a book club. (gasps) I love that. Start a book club. At my house, or and then obviously it'll rotate. But the reason, partially, why it's kind of scary to do it is because I don't know anyone here, so mm. I have to really. That's a great, great way, to, way meet to meet people. I know it's such a. Growing up, my mom told me I was socially passive, and oh. you know what? You know what, mom? You're right. You're right. Oh. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to hear it. You know. Yeah. And listen, I know, I know. And so my resolution is to be socially aggressive. Oh, aggressive. (laughs) Aggressive. Speeding right past active. Yeah, we're going right for it. I have to put aggressive on the table because you know I won't meet it. And so I have to strive for it. So it'll bring you right to socially um, appropriate. Appropriate. Socially appropriate. (laughs) Yep. Yep. a book club is a good way to do it. I won't, you know, it's a good way to find out, find out, you know, what people are into, what their Mm -hmm. interests are, Mm -hmm. um, who you're going to bond with, who you're not. I think it's a good way to meet people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like an easy entryway to conversation. You know, you'll have a shared thing. Mm -hmm. 
Great way to eat 100%. some snacks. Eat some snacks, drink some wine. Yeah, love this. Mm-hmm. Kvetch. Mm. It's also just nice to exercise your brain in that way. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. feel like we do it on the podcast with movies and analyzing and thinking about movies and stuff. I mean, analyzing might be a little generous of a term, but <laughs> we think about it we and we talk about I- it. And I don't do that that much with books. And I find that it seems like something that should be easy to do. But mm-hmm. um, I think in those sorts of things where it's something that you haven't really done much before, it at first feels a little scary. And you're like, I don't yeah. know how to talk about books. It is scary. Yeah. It's a little intimidating. I was part of a book club uh, when I lived in New York my first round when I was in my early 20s. And I worked in book publishing then. And so it was a lot of other people who worked in book publishing and I found it very intimidating to mm-hmm. speak with yeah. all of them about those books. Anyway, I don't need my book club to be like that though. I am perfectly happy for it to be more about eating cheese. The ev- the every man's book club. <laughs> the every man's book club. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to set my standards too high there. And it is kind of annoying too when people take a book club like really seriously. It's like when people take karaoke really seriously too. <laughs> yes. It's a so- it's a social club, and we also do a yes. thing on the side. Like that's the kind of yeah book club I want to be a part of. Right, and maybe I get to read an interesting book that I wouldn't have read otherwise. You know, yeah, that's, that's like it. the best you can hope for. I think I love that. So anyway, that's my that's my resolution. What about I you guys? I love it. I think it's really good. You know that as we started talking, I started putting on lotion because every year my mm. one of my resolutions is to moisturize more. So that's, that's the unsaid you know, one. That's the one that's at the top of our list. That's a given. That's yeah, for all of us. It's a given. Don't even speak it anymore. Yeah. More lotion, more lotion. Um but I was thinking about this today. And I think my res no. My resolution is <laughs> to take some sort of extracurricular class at some point this year. I would like to take a class in something different to me. It doesn't need to be a long way. It could just be a one-off. I don't care. I'm just, you know, it is going to be what it is. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Joel right now is in a French class, which I think is really fun. Whoa, cool. I, I would like to engage my brain in something new to me and something that is just for the sake of doing it and learning something maybe a little bit new. I would like to take a class this year, and I w- and I will. You've been doing that for the past couple of years. I mean, I feel like you've been well, learning to lots of new things. I did. And now yeah. you're in a job, and you're like, wait, I'm not. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I spend more. all my time doing that, and I like. I'm not, I'm obviously learning on my job, but it's not the same. You know, it's not that kind of like yeah. learning with. I mean, obviously at school there's a goal, but like I sort of just want to like learn without an objective in mind, other mm. than. To I want that to gain knowledge and an experience, you know, like it doesn't have to be applied anywhere. It, it's just like, it's, you know, growth and self enrichment. That's all I want. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. So that's my resolution. Incredible. Thank you. Two really good ones so far. Oh my God. And <laughs> will it be a three out of three? Let's find out. I, well, as I was thinking about this, I thought about how (laughs) when I was young, I, every year, one of my New Year's resolutions was to shower more. (laughs) Okay. Mm -hmm. And so I found my journals and I just wanted to read you. Oh my God. Incredible. progression. I went through such an intense, I won't bathe phase and I would go into the bathroom and protect, like turn Mm -hmm. the shower on Mm -hmm. and just sit in there. I don't think I ever did that. Why did I do that? I was like, I'm not going to get in there. Because you're in charge. In the shower. 
Yeah. That's right. I mean, I was seizing control in any way you could, you know? Mm -hmm. So New Year's resolutions for the year 2020, or excuse me, 2000. (laughs) I was like 2020. Okay. 2000. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a couple of them. I'm just going to focus on the shower ones. It's my second one in (laughs) order. So it's second importance because I ranked them Mm -hmm. in order of importance. Uh, Take a shower once a day or night. Pretty simple. New Year's resolutions 2001. It's number one now. <laughs> Take a shower every second day. Ah, we're, okay, so we're, wait, we're getting more realistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, mm-hmm. we understand. We're going to make gonna it a more important resolution and we're going to make it easier to meet. Uh huh. And, mm-hmm. and that is growth. We're one year older. We're one year wiser. Exactly. New Year's resolutions 2002. Oops, still number one. Take a shower often enough so my hair doesn't get greasy. <laughs> <laughs> Progression, yeah, and just like Wait, being... Sammy, tell us through the thought process because mm-hmm. what was going through your mind as a twelve-year-old, where you were like, "I can't shower. like it's too hard." Like, you don't I have know I time. won't do it every day. <laughs> you didn't have enough time. You just really hated it. You just didn't. I like still it? hate it. I'm, I don't like to shower. And I thought about it because I was like, should it be to shower more? And then I was like, wait, I've done that like literally every year for my entire <laughs> entire life. That's always my resolution. So um, it yeah. just made me laugh. That sucks because I love to shower. It's one of my favorite things to do. Same. I just listen to a podcast. I get so warm. The mm. reason I like it oh, is because it makes so me so warm. warm. Yeah, I think I think. If I had a better bathroom, my bathroom is really cold. So that's part of it is like getting out is freezing. Get a space heater. Yeah, Sammy, I should. Put a I, fucking I do have, space heater in there. I do have there. some. I'll put one in there. Put one in there. I, I I swear by it. It's the only reason I like showering. I wouldn't like it if I didn't have a goddamn space heater. Mm. I don't think I'm going to like it that much more still. Something I suspect it's too it's too much You're of too a thing gone. that I don't yeah. like. Yeah, that. I mean, it's ingrained. It's been there since 2000. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So I don't know. Wish me luck on that front. Good luck. I've, I've gotten to a comfortable place where I shower when I shower, you know? It's yeah, fine. I'm, I, <laughs> I never think of you as my friend who I think needs to shower more, which no, I think is the real mark of when you, like need, you to need to shower, shower more, you know? You I shower never, when ever. I need to shower. I think, that, honestly, it's not good to shower too much. It's not good for our bodies, but I love to do it too much. And you know what? Mm-hmm. Dries it out. Dries out your skin. Mm-hmm. It dries out your skin. I know, out. I'm, I'm telling lotion. you, see, I shower too much, so I need more lotion. Same. Yes. I have mm-hmm. a lot of lotion. Obviously, that's one of my resolutions as well. But Obviously. I've got a weird one this year, and it's not going to be completed this mm. year. It's maybe a two-year, two to three-year resolution. I love that. <laughs> We're thinking long-term. I am finally going to commit to doing this. I'm going to watch every Nicolas Cage movie in order. <laughs> oh my God. There How are, many are there? 116 of them. Holy shit. And I use Letterboxd. So I tracked all my movies that I watched this year and it was so far, uh, I guess yeah. I'm 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 spoiling that we're recording still in December, even though this is episode is coming out in the new year. But my <laughs> number of movies that I watched is about 170. So I obviously can't Holy watch 116 shit. Nick Cage exclusive Cage yeah. movies next year. I think it can maybe be 
somewhere in the 30 to 50 range 50 is probably a little high wow. but i'm gonna i'm gonna people listening are gonna want you to do a podcast just about the nicholas cage movies they are yeah they're oh, gonna ask that for that fun that would be fun i would be they're gonna ask for that interested in that i should do like a um dead eyes version where it's just me trying to get to nicholas cage just oh my god slowly getting guests <gasps> closer Wait, and closer into like his orbit a really good idea i yes. think it would work I think you could do it way before 116 movies. I really think you'd get there at like 58, movie 58. Hell yeah. If you were really trying. If you I mean, really tried, you know, if you tried to really enough. try, I think if you, yeah, if you actually fucking tried, if you tried for once, don't just like not try. Don't just fucking don't even do it if don't you're not going to try. Normal thing where you don't try at all, where I don't even freaking try. <laughs> I mean, I'll think about this. This is interesting. It does make the resolution in general a little more daunting. So I don't yeah. want to add that on it right now. You don't need to put that pressure on yourself. I want to take one one step at a time. But I, I'll, I'll consider it because I do love Nicolas Cage. This is the first step. And I could talk about him for 116 episodes. And imagine <laughs> if he was sitting across from you. Oh, my God. He'd Did be a great podcast guest. He'd be Wouldn't great. He? I'd he'd definitely so have good. to take a lot of beta blockers, but. Yeah, but you, you could, could do, do it. it. That's what they're there for. That yeah. is that is what they're there for. Is <laughs> That's Nick why Cage. they were invented. Yeah. And also the, the journey would prepare you. Do you know yes. what I mean? Such a good point. We, uh, exactly. we so often forget about how well the journey prepares us. That's, the journey prepares you. That's so what the journey's true. for. You know? <laughs> that's yeah. what the journey's for, and that's what beta blockers are for. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, three a whole new year. Incredible resolutions. Yeah, I want to hear our listeners' resolutions, fun ones. Fun ones. And you're not allowed in my world to make a resolution that involves any shaming of your current self. Yeah, mm. I think that's a good rule of thumb. Um, but it's fun to have a, fu a fun goal. Yeah, it's it's about like looking forward to some giving yourself like a, an exciting this, using the spark of the new year mm -hmm. to come up with something that sparks joy, you know? Yeah. Exactly. And also <laughs> life is unpredictable. You know, anything can happen. It don't matter. It's just about it's fun to it's fun to dream. It's fun to hope. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's really the journey that it's all for, you know? It's, it's the, the journey, journey that prepares you. It's the journey that prepares you. And speaking of, have we prepared ourselves through this journey for what is about to happen to us today? Was that the best segue that we've ever done? <laughs> I really knocked it out of the park. I took my own breath <laughs> as it was coming out of your mouth. Your eyes were getting bigger like, oh my God. I've done it. I've done it. I've done it. So perfect. <laughs> wow. I think, yeah. I mean, I hope to surprise you and scare you a little bit more than wow. outside of your preparedness level. But I think in general, we've we've grown so much. Yeah. We've gone through so much. We've talked about a lot of scary movies. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. you're as prepared as you possibly could be. I'm most prepared now than I've ever been. You know, every single time we do this, I'm more prepared than the time before. Exactly. That's, right. That's pretty yeah. great. Yeah. Yet somehow I feel as though my defenses are even more down. So mm. that, I mean, I think that's called vulnerability. Yeah. And we want. I'm we leaning want into it, baby. Mm-hmm. All right, Sammy, what do we got? What do we got? This week, we are starting the year off talking about The Empty Man. 
Ugh. It sounds bad. <laughs> it came out in 2020, written and directed by David Pryor, based on the graphic novel by Cullen Bunn and Vanessa R. Del Rey, starring James Badgedale, Marin Ireland, Sasha Frilova, and Stephen Root. And it is Ooh. streaming on Hulu. Okay. Big recommend. What do you guys know about this movie? Nada. What do you guys know about The Empty Man? Nothing. I know Nothing. that Joel watched it and really liked it. That's all I got. Oh, that's a that's that's huge. That's something. Though. That's something. That's big. I know nothing. I know even less than that. Great. Empty of opinions, you might say. Mm. You might. The empty hen. Mm, the empty <laughs> hen. <laughs> that's a sound. Of, that's like a really depressing cafe. <laughs> <laughs> a really depressing fried chicken shop. The, uh, where it's uh, welcome to the empty hen. Uh, <laughs> we got so nothing fi- for you. Find what you can. Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> Our shelves. Nada. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> All right. The Empty Man has a 75% on Rotten Tomatoes, a 62 on Metacritic, and a 6.2 on IMDb. Mm-hmm. Budget, $16 million. It made $4.8 million. Oh, well, mm. 2020 was a hard one. Yeah. So, yeah, this movie was originally shot in 2017. Oh, man. And... 20th Century Fox didn't want to release it because it wasn't doing well in test screenings. I think they got a little cold on it and Mm. then they were acquired by Disney. And so that delayed, you know, all the shuffle of that. They didn't know what to do with it. And eventually they dumped it in theaters in October of 2020. So it really did this movie dirty. Yeah, Yeah, probably the worst time to put. Oh, that's God, who is going to the movie theaters in October 2020? No, I know. Real, no literally one. nobody. <laughs> literally I mean, no one. I guess $4.8 million worth of people. What is that, like 12 movie tickets? <laughs> Basically, not not if you have AMCA list. <laughs> that's true. And there's not much more trivia than that that All I right. could find. So let's watch this trailer. Ooh, let's watch it. I'm excited for a spooky trailer. Hey, wait. We gotta try it. Try what? Calling the empty man. Who's the empty man? If you're on a bridge and you find a bottle, you blow into it and you think about the empty man. Oh, come on, Mandy. How old are you? Tell him the rest. On the first night, you hear him. And on the second night, you see him. And on the third night? Well, on the third night, he finds you. Squirming his way into your thoughts. Like a disease. And his message is contagious. What? I'm also just remembering we were talking about this last night. We were covering this movie, and you did say the main uh, young child actor. I don't know, teenager. She's 18. 18. Okay. Inexplicably has a bowl cut, and I think that's 
so it's funny. so that, funny. That has nothing to do with anything because it is a shocking haircut. Yeah. No, I was like, is that the kid from Stranger, Stranger Things? Things? Yeah. It is the haircut from Stranger Things. It's That's exactly for the sure. Haircut. Man, it sucks that this came out in 2020 because I can totally see this doing well in any other year. You I know? think it's great. I watched it a couple months ago for the first time, actually, maybe in October. And Mm -hmm. I talked about it in the little mini episode I did and said, like, we'll definitely have to do an episode on it because it's so I really liked it. Oh, I'm excited. Um, And then rewatching it. I liked it even more. Man, can you imagine making that movie and then it comes out in October 2020? What the fuck? In 2017, too. It sucks. And it's like directed. the worst of it all. So well, I feel like. And I think this was his feature debut. He had worked a lot with David Fincher in the past, David Pryor in some capacity. And now Mm -hmm. I can't remember exactly what, but you can see a lot of David Fincher influence and like he's learned a lot um, from working with him. And it just it it looks great. I think it's a a lot scarier than that trailer would lead you to believe. (laughs) It's like has some of the best scares. I think the opening prologue is one of the scariest. I think it's like that and Scream. God, that Scream prologue. Oh, cool. Probably my favorite opening scenes in horror movies. Oh my movies. god, I'm so excited. Me too. Yeah, it's good. <gasps> yeah, I love it. Right, let's freaking go, go, man. Scary movie. Let's freaking do I it. I want to hear about let's it. Do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. It's the bleakest time of the year, so you know what that means. We deserve to get cozy on the couch, rewatch our favorite TikTok videos, and drink a goddamn glass of wine. If you ever struggle to pick out the right bottle, you will love our next sponsor, Naked Wines. Did you know that when you buy wine today, most of the money goes to things like fancy packaging, big budget marketing campaigns, and tax? That is crazy. Naked Wines is a subscription service that seamlessly connects you to the finest independent winemakers on the planet, so you get a box of the market's best quality wines, however often you'd like, for a fraction of the price. And hold on to your butts, you guys, because the deal they have for you is insane. Just wait. So how do they do it? Naked Wines connects winemakers and wine drinkers directly, allowing for vineyard-to-door delivery at up to 60% off what you would normally pay in a store. By cutting out the traditional retail middleman costs and markups, winemakers can pass those savings on to you without skimping on quality. I can't stop talking about Naked Wines. I love that their quiz matches you with bottles that you love, and each shipment includes wines they recommend based on your previous ratings. I'm currently loving their organic options, especially the Chris Condos Cabernet from Mendocino County, and they've been around for 10 years, and they fund over 90 independent winemakers. So with no commitments or membership fees, you can enjoy Naked Wines hassle-free. And the best part, every bottle is a passion project from an independent winemaker, so you're literally making an independent winemaker's dream come true. So head to nakedwines.com slash too scary and enter voucher in the top right when you get to the website and put in too scary for both the code and password to get six bottles of wine for just $39.99 with shipping included. That's $100 off and less than $7 per bottle. So that's nakedwines.com slash too scary and use the code and password too scary and grab six bottles for just $39.99. One last time, that's nakedwines.com slash too scary code and password too scary for $100 off your first six bottles. We all come home after a long day of work and what's the first thing we do? We take off our bras. 
because they are uncomfortable and constricting and we're just ready to get out of them by the end of the day. Well, what if I told you that Skims has changed all that? Skims has done the impossible and created an underwire bra that I actually forget that I'm wearing. I didn't think anybody could do it. You guys obviously know how much I love Skims. I have tried many of their other products. I've never been disappointed, but I, yeah, just don't normally love an underwire bra. I prefer a bralette, but I've loved everything else I've gotten so much that I thought, you know what? Why not try an underwire bra from Skims? Let's just see. And they did it. They did it, folks. They created my favorite underwire bra I've ever worn. I have the weightless scoop bra. It has this nice like mesh material that's supportive and comfortable, breathable, but still very sexy. And yeah, like I said, I, I do genuinely forget that I'm wearing it. And that is very rare. I, you know, I'm a broken record over here. I love skims. I love skims. I'm sorry. That's just the, the cold hard truth. I will shout it from the rooftops because I want everybody to know. I want everybody to share in my joy and my comfort. So shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H, plus get free shipping on orders over $75. And if you haven't yet, be sure to let them know that we sent you after you place your order, select podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. We start in Bhutan in 1995. There is a group of four friends hiking up a, a mountain, like backpacking, and it looks like really difficult terrain. The higher they go, it starts snowing. It looks like a very difficult mountain to climb. But so these friends are obviously very outdoorsy type. They seem like a close group of friends. I think it's two couples. They're like young adults. Yeah. Yeah. They're probably early, early 30s, late 20s, early 30s. And one of the guys is the husband from the night house. So I was already mm. spooked. Yeah. <laughs> There's this very like guttural, mournful singing. It's like a chanting sound. The sound design in this movie and the music, both incredible. Mm. They pass by these Buddhist monks that are coming down the mountain and they give, they give them kind of a look that doesn't feel great. Mm. A warning. This is the person in the warning, gas station yes. before yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> yeah, they're not. It's not like smiling and waving, like "Hey, good, have fun on the mountain." They're just looking hey, at them. It's like, cold up there, you know. One of those. <laughs> yeah. Um. So they continue climbing up, and they eventually come to this very rickety bridge that they mm -hmm. have to climb across and three of the four of them are really scared to do it and of course the one guy is like it's fine it's gonna be fine and he's walking out on it and jumping on it seeing like it's so sturdy see it's I totally mean, why fine. on earth why on earth would you take it that far <laughs> don't, right, right. i don't care this is not the moment it's not the moment no and so they cross the bridge it's fine 
Mm. I still don't like it. They make it to the peak of the mountain. There's a beautiful view of all the surrounding mountains, but they can see that there is a storm coming in. So they say, okay, we should start heading back down. Don't want to get caught in the storm. Some text comes up and says day one. One of the guy's names is Paul. And Paul hears some like a faint whistling sound and we hear it too, but nobody else does. And he's saying, do you guys hear that? What is that? He's clearly very interested in this sound. It's almost like he's not in full control of what he's doing. He's just like, what is that sound? And he's drawn to it like a a moth to a light. He's going towards where the sound is coming from. Everyone's saying, what are you talking about? I don't hear anything. And as he's walking along the mountaintop, he falls into a crevasse and just disappears. You just see him like drop down. Same bridge guy or no? No, it's the other guy. They have climbing gear with them. They were prepared. So the other guy, bridge guy's name is Greg. So Greg goes down to go get Paul. They're calling out to him. He's not answering. Oh, God. He, Greg goes down into the cave, essentially. It's an underground cave thing. It's feeling like, you know, we don't ever want to be in a cave Mm-mm-mm-mm. spelunking. No, no, thank you. No. Greg gets down there and sees Paul is just sitting cross-legged. Oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> staring forward at a a skeleton that's not quite human it's human like but it's really big and has like 14 fingers on each hand so uh. the the hands are crisscrossed in almost a prayer position and it almost looks like they're ribs at first it just you can't Ew. quite tell what bones are what Mm-mm. paul is just staring unblinking at this skeleton his eyes are kind of watering and red. He doesn't necessarily look scared, but obviously something is wrong. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is why I don't like to go hiking, you guys. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you just gotta, never know. You know? Just you point to this. Mm-hmm. Greg is saying, Paul, what the hell? What are you doing? Are, are you okay? Let's get out of here. Paul's, of course, not responding, not moving. And he's kind of whispering to himself a little bit. Greg leans in to hear what he's saying. And he hears Paul say, if you touch me, you'll die. Oh, my God. Oh, my fucking God. Is he noticing the skeleton with all the fingers? Yeah, he, he looked at it and is scared and knows something's wrong, but is just trying to get his friend and be like, "We want, let's get out of here and mm-hmm. go home. And after Paul says, if you touch me, you'll die. He thinks for a moment and is looking at him like, what are you talking about? And then he touches him and he grabs him. He's like, we've got to get out of here. If you're not going to go out, like I'm, I'm going to carry you out. And as he touches him, Paul closes his eyes and a tear falls out. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> and they carry Paul out. And this ordeal has taken up enough time that the storm has started to come in. And so this is not ideal because they're carrying Paul now and Greg mm. can't 
hike in this condition. It's too stormy and Paul is too heavy. And so one of the girls uh, sees her name is Ruthie. It's Paul's girlfriend. Sees a house in the mountain, kind of a stone shack type building. And they say, well, let's go down there. Mm-mm. Get some, you know, get away from the storm for a second while we think about what we want to do. Mm. So they go down to this house. It It's no one's there. They're calling out. No one answers. Seems like it's empty. They bring Paul in and they're they they take his clothes off and they're checking him for bug bites, thinking maybe he's gotten bitten by something poisonous. Is he like basically like catatonic? He's basically catatonic. Okay. And there's no no bites on him. They don't know what's going on. Maybe he's in shock. We don't know. Are his eyes open? Are his, his eyes are like open? Awake? Yes. Okay. As Greg is trying to find any if signs of head injury or anything, he doesn't find anything. But we do notice that Paul has a lot of scars on his wrists. Mm. Uh, they, you know, look like healed self harm scars, p- potentially mm. suicide attempts. And he turns to. Ruthie, his girlfriend, says, has he been good lately? And she said she seems kind of like offended by this. She's like, yeah, he's he's fine. Like, he's good. Mm. And Greg says, we're five miles from the nearest road and Mm -hmm. I can't carry him in this in this weather. So we we got to sleep here tonight. Uh, It's like getting to be nighttime. And we if he's not better by the morning, I'll hike out alone and I'll go get help and bring them back because. There's not a lot of options here. Mm. So as they were examining him, Ruthie found a fucking little bone flute. <laughs> what? Where? Like a little in his pocket. or I think it was even in, in clutching it in his hand that he obviously got from this skeleton layer. Just giving out bones left and right. <laughs> little bone instrument. Uh, <laughs> and this bitch... Starts blowing in the bone flute. No, no, don't. Why would you blow through it? And after she does it, the it goes completely silent. And there's a snowstorm outside before, so it goes from like very loud wind howling to complete mm. silence. Oh my god, that is so scary. Whoo! And then she just hears footsteps. Oh my god. Oh no. Walking. Around the front of the house, she sees a shadow. She's terrified, frozen in fear. Uh, eventually gets up and sees that Greg and his girlfriend are sleeping in the other room. It's not, it's not them. Paul is still, all of them are, are there. So it's not them. And she finally opens the door and nobody's there. Day two, sun rises. They've made it through the night. Greg and his girlfriend Fiona leave. They're going to go hike down, which wasn't the original plan. And so I feel like I would have, if I were Ruthie, been like, well, wait a second. Don't leave me alone. But they do. They leave her with Paul as they yeah. go to try to find help. Or maybe they're trying to find water or something. I'm, I, I can't remember exactly what they say, but... I'm feeling very scared in this moment. I don't want her to be alone with Paul. It, it, there's still a blizzard outside. It's uh, essentially a whiteout. Like you can't see more than a couple feet away. 
and she notices something out of the window. She sees a figure right outside the house and she runs out and she's calling to them and they're like, she's saying, Hey, Hey, help, help. Can you help us? We're, we're stuck. My friend is hurt or whatever. And I'm basically alone. Hi. <laughs> yeah. And we're pretty quickly seeing that this shape, it, it just feels very ominous. It's essentially kind of mm, has Death Eater vibes. It's like a cloaked, mm. large cloaked figure or, mm -hmm. or yeah, Dementor is what I mean, not Death Eater. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm. As, as she's walking closer to it, also sees that this isn't just a regular person. And so she takes a step back. She's like scared. So she's moving slowly. And as she takes a step back, it takes a step forward. She oh takes another step back and it takes another step <gasps> forward. <gasps> and then it charges at her, but it's not running. It's like floating. It's like flying at her. Oh, really Dementor-esque. Yeah. And she runs back into the house, locks the door. We hear banging on the door, banging on the door. She's screaming and crying. And then we hear Greg saying, Ruthie, it's us. What the fuck? Like, open the door. What's, what are you doing? Mm. She opens the door. It is Greg and Fiona coming back. They look very confused. What's going on? She's t absolutely terrified. Just says, we need to leave. We need to leave. They're trying to talk her down. Like, what's going on? It's probably everything's fine. What do you mean? Also, like, we can't leave, right? Isn't that the point? Yeah, but she's screaming, we need to get out of here right now. Oh, God. Greg says, okay, we can't leave right now, but we're going to leave first thing in the morning. Day three. Yep. And so they have to spend one more night there. We see we see Ruthie sleeping. It's a close up on her face. And we're hearing these nasty, clicky, whispery noises. Ooh. They're like... No! I, I don't even know Ew. if they're... The, I couldn't figure out how to do them, but they're very scary. Oh. And the camera pulls out to reveal Paul hovering over her, whispering oh. in her ear. Oh, God. <gasps> oh, no. Oh. It's terrifying. <gasps> she wakes up and he's gone. Mm. Okay. And yeah, now it's morning, day three. Paul is gone. Don't know where he went. Oh, God. And so they go out searching for him. They're calling for him. Mm. And they find him. Sitting at the edge of the bridge, cross-legged, facing out to the bridge. Greg is angry now. He's like, Paul, what the fuck are you doing? Stop fucking with us. Uh, this is getting old. We need to get the fuck out of here. You need to be serious. He's, again, just unblinking, staring forwards, not saying anything. Ruthie looks like something is coming over her. She's kind of stepping mm. back from the situation and looking scared, but then kind of looking a little hypnotized. And Paul says, he looks up at Greg and he says, I told you. And Ruthie has a knife. She pulls what? a knife out of her oh. Oh. sleeve. Here it goes. She goes behind Greg, stabs him a bunch of times <gasps> in the back. Oh, oh my shit. God. Kicks him off the edge of the cliff. What the fuck? Uh, Fiona runs toward her like, what are you doing? And she slits Fiona's throat. 
<gasps> knocks her off the side of the cliff. It's obviously it's extremely high. You see them plummeting to their deaths if they're not already dead. And we see tears coming out of Ruthie's eyes. She looks at Paul. He looks at her. They're staring at each other as Ruthie steps backward to the ledge of the cliff and flings herself off the cliff as well. Jesus. And we got, oh my God, the main title, The Empty <gasps> Man. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's a 22 minute little prologue, and now we completely change gears, but holy shit, cool. it's one of the like most effectively creepy openings i've ever seen and i if you if you like scary stuff you simply must watch it because wow it's really scary <laughs> uh so now we are in missouri in 2018 we meet our protagonist james he is a retired cop uh but he doesn't he's looks like to be in his 40s or so mm. he is it's his birthday and he's eating at some chain restaurant that looks like a Olive Garden or something like that by himself. Mm -hmm. And he has a coupon for a free piece of cake or something for his birthday. And mm -hmm. he clearly looks like he's like trying to be low key. And but he he gives the waitress the coupon and he's like, oh, this is embarrassing. But can I, um, you know, use this and. She's like, oh, of course, of course. And he's like, I don't want to like no make no big deal about it or anything. And so she goes to get him cake and comes back with like seven other employees. No, that's not nice. He asked you and not to sing happy birthday. That's not nice. He's looking very embarrassed by this. Uh, he goes back home afterwards, and we meet Amanda and her little bowl cut. <laughs> Oh, great bull cut person. <laughs> she is his neighbor. But this, it, it, we're not given a ton of information right out the gate. I remember the first time I watched it being very confused by the next couple scenes of like, who are these people? So mm. I'm going to tell you who they are, but just. Thank you. <laughs> just know that it wasn't super clear. You have to be confused because I was confused. <laughs> and you'll find out when I found out. Mm -hmm. Thank you for not doing that to us. Um, she's his neighbor and. She says she's checking on him because she's worried about him. I was like, is this a like romantic interest? Mm. And I was feeling grossed out by that. It's not. Don't worry. Okay, great. But some something bad has clearly happened that makes her feel worried about him. And she says, ever since my dad died and so soon after that, Allison and Henry, it was more than anyone could bear. And it's mm. clear that he is really struggling to have this conversation and keeps trying to be like, oh, it's fine. It's fine. Like, I'm fine. Oh, is he a widower? That's yeah, what we're Door. thinking. That's the seems that way. So she's she's checking on him and, and trying to comfort him. And she says, I came here to tell you that I found something so wonderful. And it's helped me to realize that nothing can hurt you because nothing is real. Oh, and he's doesn't know what she's talking about and says, as you know, things are pretty real. Like I know from experience that there are real things. And she mm. says, but how do you know that? You know, reality starts in our brain and then it ends up out in the world. And 
you can manifest things. There's power of positive thinking, power of negative thinking, like you create your own reality. But what if our thoughts didn't begin with us and they traveled through us like a signal traveling down a wire from somewhere ancient? What if? Uh, <laughs> yeah, he has no idea sure. what he has no idea what she's <laughs> fucking talking about. Yeah. He's like, uh, I don't know what you mean. And uh, her mom calls and she's like, I've, I've got to go. So she leaves and he goes into his house. And yes, we see photos of a wife and a son and oh, start man. seeing flashback images. He's having nightmares. We're just getting little bits and pieces of what looks to be probably a car accident and hearing whispers of where were you? Where were you? Uh, where were you? Jesus. Uh, he wakes up. It's the next day. We get a card that says day one. Oh no! We find out that Amanda is missing. Amanda's mom. Her name is Nora. This is Marin Ireland, who I love and adore. Mm. And Nora calls James over. Says Amanda is missing. She's freaking out. She's crying. And there's clearly some tension between them. But it seems like they're putting aside some feelings so that he can like comfort her in this scary moment of her daughter being missing because also there is writing on her mirror in blood that says the empty man made me do it so it's pretty oh. pretty alarming okay so we yeah that, that sort of like takes front and center yeah so we're we're putting aside whatever weird things are uh happened between them in the past that we're getting vibes of to focus on a much more important thing of a, a missing daughter talking about the empty man <laughs> Uh, the, she calls the police also, but uh, she had called James because he's a retired cop and because obviously I think it's someone that she had been close with in the past and doesn't know who else to call. So the cops come and they're asking questions and taking photos and evidence and whatnot. But they do say, you know, she is 18. And so, so she can write in blood sort of like wherever she wants. <laughs> so we'll, we'll keep looking into it, but I don't think we can fully call it a missing persons case yet or something like that. It, they they are still going to be working on it, but maybe not as hard as she would like them to. And so James takes on the case himself as well and is just like, I'll do my own digging. Used to be a detective. So he goes through Amanda's room and finds her diary and it has a pamphlet in it that is from the Pontifax Institute. It's don't know what it is, but it seems like something she had been learning about recently. So I think he pockets it as, you know, potentially useful information. He asks Nora for a list of all Amanda's friends. And then he goes to Amanda's school to talk to her friends. He finds her friend Devara. He's basically just questioning her about what was the last time you saw Amanda? What were you guys doing? And Devar is being a little cagey about it. But then he says, does it have anything to do with the empty man? And Devar has a little brief moment of revealing that that does mean something to her and then quickly tries to brush it off. That's just a stupid kid's story. It's, it's nothing. And he asks what the story is. So the legend goes that if you find an empty bottle on a bridge and blow into it while thinking about the empty man that he will visit you. And he asks, well, did you do, did you do that? And she says, yeah, we did it two nights ago. Mm -hmm. And we 
as she's retelling this story, we're flashing back to two nights ago and seeing uh, Amanda, Devara, and like four or five more of their friends on this bridge doing high school stuff, drinking beer, summoning like a evil <laughs> spirit of sorts. Yeah, and classic. As they're getting ready to leave, Amanda sees an empty bottle and makes them all stop and says, wait, 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 we have to try to call the empty man. And they ask what that means. And she explains that once you call him on the first night, you hear him. On the second night, you see him. And on the third night, you feel him, I think is what she says. Yeah. And they're all rolling their eyes at her. This is, come on, grow up. How old are you? This is stupid. And while we're on it, where did you get your hair cut and why? <laughs> why, why does it look like it's that? Just why we're, while we're bringing things up. Been curious. <laughs> she says, if it's so stupid, then you can just do it because it doesn't, it's not going to matter. <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> they're like, okay, whatever. And so they all pass around the bottle. They all blow into it. Some more with more intention verve. than others. Yeah, verve. Some of <laughs> Devara specifically is just like, whew, like blows into it really quick and is like, this is dumb. Let's go. Amanda, on the other hand, sits down cross-legged, holds the bottle between her hands in a in a hand position that mirrors the little prayer mm. for, that we saw in the skeleton's hand with the interlocked fingers. She's really concentrating as she blows into the bottle a couple times, and then she just starts saying, the empty man, the empty man, the empty man, the empty oh, man. So scary. she's really, really trying to follow through with this in a, <laughs> in a big way. And everyone is, all right, we did it. Let's go. And as they're about to leave the bridge once again, goes completely silent. All the night wind, crickets, everything stops, gets completely silent. And we just hear on the other side of the bridge, something like a chain rattling, mm. sort of like metal mm. gate or something. Everyone immediately looks very scared. <laughs> One of the guys goes, what? <laughs> really made me laugh. And then... They hear footsteps. Oh, God. They're calling out, who's who's over there? Like, stop messing with us. Stop affecting the sounds of the earth. <laughs> stop sucking the sound from the air. Stop messing with us. And the footsteps continue, coming a little closer. We can't see anything. It's very dark on that side of the bridge, so it's completely in shadows. But the footsteps are getting closer, and then they stop. Everyone's still looking, still terrified, and they just hear someone blowing into a bottle. God damn it. <laughs> and they all run, and they hear footsteps running after them. Oh God. But nobody sees anything. We cut back to Devara in talking to James. Uh, present day now after retelling this story and she is looking really scared as she looks around there on the school campus she sees a quick flash of something a black cloaked something turns back it's gone 
But she's obviously very on edge. And James can see this and says, okay, obviously there's something going on with this empty man situation. And he goes to try to track down the rest of Amanda's friends and they are all missing. Oh, no. What? All of them. All of them are missing. And at one of their houses, he finds a dead dog, a murdered dog <gasps> that was there was mention of the blood on the mirror, not <gasps> being human blood. Oh, yeah. So this is where that came from. And at one of the other kids houses, he finds another pamphlet for the Pontifex Institute. Hmm. And he's retracing their steps a bit, and he is he reading the pamphlet. Or? It does. Uh, there, uh, it, it it's more. It's a flyer. Sorry, it do, it doesn't have oh. any information. <laughs> it's in just it. very funny to me the idea that he would just be like, "All right, well, I'll figure that out later." <laughs> yeah, I should read that. I'll do that later. Nah, I'll do that. Oh, it's a lot of reading. <laughs> uh, no, it just is. A, it's it's a flyer, so it just has the logo, and on the back, it it has the word Tulpa written on it. Okay. Uh, so he's f- following their tracks. He goes to the bridge that they were on and mm. it's daytime now. He's looking around, seeing if he can, I don't know, find any clues, I guess. And he fi- sees an empty bottle mm. and Sir. he picks it up and he blows no! in it. How okay. is that going to fucking help you, dude? <laughs> He's like, let's see if it's real. Let's see if it's real. Really crazy thing to it's do. Real. Let me do the thing that made all these children disappear. Mm. And right after he does it. Somebody pranks him by taking all the sound out. <laughs> all the cicadas mm-hmm. go completely silent. The air stands still. And all he can hear is a faint tapping. Metal mm. tapping noise. And he moves further towards it and he sees an open manhole in the bridge and climbs down the fuck into like the the you know architecture below the bridge all like cement and and dark under there scary (laughs) and he's turning around a corner as he's looking down here and runs right into a corpse of one of the friends hanging hanging from a noose from the bottom of the bridge and he shifts his perspective a bit and we see that all five of the friends (gasps) are hanging in a row oh my god except for amanda no amanda no amanda and no devara and there is more blood writing saying the empty man made me do it. And the tapping noise is one of their feet slowly hitting the side of the bridge oh, with the breeze. God. He obviously calls the police. They come set up the whole crime scene thing. His nose starts bleeding. Something very strange is going on. Shouldn't have blown through that flute, my man. Shouldn't do that. Don't blow on any bone flutes and don't test any legends. No. It's just like, why do it? You know, not worth it. No. Mm-mm. Also, like, I don't want to put my mouth on any like random bottles or bones. Yeah, Mm-mm. that's fair. <laughs> uh, so we cut to Davara in a very fancy sauna by herself. Looks like. Okay, Davara. I know. I'm like, what is this 18 year old girl? What's her life? This is nice. (laughs) 
But it's got to be not nice. Yeah, I was going to say, her final moments, I suppose. Yeah, she gets naked to go into the sauna. We see her naked, which I was like, I don't I don't know that we needed that. Yeah. But I don't know why. I know it like happens all the time in horror movies. I don't know why it like, felt jarring to me I mean, in this one. I mean, the fact that we like visited her in high school. Yeah. You know, it's like, I get that she's 18. Unnecessary. But yeah. like, yeah, we don't, it's easy to cut away from that. It's not moving the narrative forward whatsoever. No. no. Yeah, it's not like, if you're naked, the empty man will get you, so we have right. to see her be naked. <laughs> Which, you know, I don't love when they do that either. No. But, so she's sitting in the sauna, the steam comes out, so once again, it's hard to see. Mm things that are right in front of you. She's closing her eyes, relaxing, having a nice day, a nice little spa day. (laughs) When she opens her eyes, it looks as if someone else is in the room with her, sitting across from her. She's squinting, trying to make it out. I think the steam is dissipating a little bit now, you know, and it like turns on and turns off. It had been Mm -hmm. cranking in and so it was getting more steamy, more steamy. And now it's kind of fading. She's looking. It's really hard to tell. But then slowly, sure enough, there's a figure there and you, the audience, are squinting, trying to see. You can almost make out what's beneath the cloak but not quite. And it, as she realizes, okay, something is in here, it lunges at her, grabs Uh. her. She's screaming. It has scissors. We see (gasps) it's like little bone hands and it it stabs her in the eye a whole bunch of times. Just goes like in the eye and and has the hand around her throat, strangling her and stabbing her. And then it cuts to seeing her Strangling herself, stabbing herself in the oh, eye. Oh, oh, I don't like that. I hate that. Drops dead. She's <gasps> she's dead. Tavar's dead. Shit. <sighs> now we are at the police station. The detective that was uh, called in to the Amanda case has now called in James to talk to him about the case and about Devara and... This detective is telling James so many details about the case. And he is, he does know that James is a former detective, but it's in a different precinct. He didn't know him. And I don't know what the rules are here, but he's basically saying like every detail of what happened in Devara's death and like everything they know. That doesn't feel right. And I'm like, I don't know that we should be sharing that information so willy-nilly. And don't you think the man who found all the dead kids would be a suspect? Exactly. And it's like, and you just talked to Devara. He's like there to tell him how like he was just with Devara yesterday and this guy's like uh, essentially like it's nice to have another detective on the case. (laughs) Like seemed really strange to me. So he's telling him the details of how Devara died, saying that she committed suicide by stabbing herself in the eye with scissors over and over and over. Which, who, yeah, no, yeah, and James says exactly that. People don't, people don't do that. The detective agrees. My thoughts exactly. Like, <laughs> what's going on? There's never that gives me the creeps. He, he's like, there hasn't been this many murders in this town, probably ever. And like something very strange is going on. He says, two weeks ago, a mother killed her baby, said it was whispering Mm. to her. And when we found, when we were at the crime scene, she had written the empty man 
made me do it. We see Mm -hmm. on the sauna floor, the empty man is written in blood, her blood on the floor. So the detective says he's, he suspects that these are crimes that cannot be solved and gets a little existential here. He's like, we can put the mother in prison. Hell, we can even put her in the gas chamber. That doesn't solve anything. Mm-hmm. And we can't indict the cosmos. Mm. So they're thinking something mm. something big is is going on. Uh, we see James now going to the Pontifex Institute. Oh, no, excuse me. He's doing research on it. He is, is, uh, pulls out his laptop and he's looking at Wikipedia. And it's honestly a pretty good research montage. It's nice. Ni- it's well, well executed. He's learning that the Pontifex Institute is a doomsday cult. He finds there's this cabin where six people died uh, in some accident last year or something. He flips over the flyer and sees that word tulpa again and Googles that and we see a tulpa. It's uh, we're just getting little flashes of phrases on the Wikipedia. It says thought form, mind made body. It's a Buddhist principle of being able to basically conjure your own, like conjure things from thought. There is an equation that says thought plus concentration plus time equals flesh. Pretty weird. Pretty weird. Uh, Just then Nora comes over and she's, you know, brought over some takeout figures he hasn't eaten and very quickly bursts into tears. She's obviously very stressed about her missing daughter and he's comforting her and holding her. And we're seeing a they've definitely had some sort of intimate relationship. He's holding her in a way mm-hmm. that you wouldn't hold your neighbor normally. Mm-hmm. And so we see that there's something between them and she looks up at him and says, I'm sorry, it's been so long and I'm sorry about why she's crying. She asks if she can stay and he gives her a look like no. And mm. he doesn't want to do that. And so she, and she nods and she doesn't seem you know, overly hurt by this. She's like, yeah, boundaries, boundaries. So they, they have a drink together and, uh, she, Mm. she goes home and he once again is plagued by nightmares throughout the night, flashes of his wife and son in a car at nighttime, uh, sounds of brakes screeching. And once again, where were you? Where were you? And he sees a little flash of an empty chair in a uh, underground room that looks unrelated <laughs> to a car accident. Uh, so, yeah, we're just getting little glimpses of mm-hmm. s- some scary imagery. He shoots awake in bed again. He's waking up every day at, th- at 3 a.m. And at 3.03, actually, uh, that's when the nightmares tend to wake him up. He sits up in bed. He's, you know, stressed, breathing heavily when he hears floorboard creaking. Oh, boy. He turns and you can see down his hallway. It's all very dark, but he's looking in the hallway. It doesn't seem like there's anyone there, but he's again, here's a floorboard creak. 
He gets up, turns the light on. No one's there in this little entryway vestibule and turns the light off immediately. Creaky, creaky footstep type thing. He freaks out, closes his bed, like runs back into his bedroom, closes the door, grabs his bat, a good, a good weapon, uh, Hmm. is preparing for a fight. Here's the footsteps come closer, sees shadows of feet below the gap under the door. And then the footsteps go away. He finally opens the door again and his front door is wide open. But nobody's there. Now cut to day two. Oh no. Next morning, he goes to the Pontifax Institute. Very Scientology vibes. There's a lot of people there. It's a big building. They're handing out pamphlets, welcoming everybody, saying, you know, uh, fill out this form, begin your journey to self-realization type of thing. Uh, He asks the basically front desk woman how long they've existed. She says, we were established in 2013, but what we can offer you is as old as time. And she hands him this questionnaire that has very strange yes or no questions like Mm. the scientific method is a form of oppression. It's basically, I guess like agree or disagree. (laughs) Not all shadows are cast by something. They're just kind of strangely Hmm. almost nonsensical questions, but he's immediately very frustrated with this question. He goes back up to her and it's like, what's all this about? And she's like, that's your, your first step to, finding your truest self. And he says, yeah, yeah, I know. I know. I grew up in San Francisco (laughs) and tries to get more information out of her, but everyone starts moving. There's some event starting and it's the cult leader, essentially. That's not what they refer to him as, but that's what he is, is giving a speech. And so everyone goes into this auditorium to hear him talk. This is Stephen Root. Mm. I love him. Good uh, cult leader. I would imagine. He's really, he's really good in this role. And so uh, James is watching him speak and he's saying things like, you already have everything you need. There's nothing but the complete nothingness that binds us. We were all one and we will all be one again. This message comes from the empty man. Mm. James is like, okay, so this is connected. He goes up to him after the speech and says, like, I thought you were going to say namaste. He's like trying to be jokey with him. (laughs) Stephen Root says, I can if you want. And he says, no, 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 please. I grew up in San Francisco. (laughs) Okay. He uses it again. (laughs) He loves that line. And he (sighs) sits down with Stephen Root and is asking, he's just like, what is this? What is the empty man? What I don't understand really what you're what you're saying. Stephen Root says, you know that thing that kids do where if you say your name over and over and over and over, starts to sound like gibberish? It's like that can be true of whole concepts. Hmm. Repetition makes things meaningless. And he's like, take the phrase, if you stare into the abyss, it stares back at you. That's been said so many times that doesn't really mean anything to anybody. It's like a refrigerator magnet now. But if you really, really think about it, it's not innocuous at all. It's not meaningless. Like if you're staring into abyss, what an an abyss, what 
Are you staring at what's staring back at you? Is there something in you that calls to the abyss? And is there something that's answering that call? Like that's pretty profound. And if something so profound can be robbed of meaning by something as simple as repetition, what is more true? Your name or the gibberish? That's the empty man. Huh? Whoa, that's a fun concept. <laughs> it's very hard to wrap your head around. <laughs> and I can't say that I understand it 100%. Mm-hmm. And I don't think James does either. He's kind of like, okay. <laughs> and Stephen Root says, it's nice to see you again. Thanks for, thanks for coming back. I hope you stay longer next time. James says, I've never been here before. Stephen Root says, oh, you must just have one of those faces. And kind of ooh, smiles ooh. at him. <laughs> oh, I don't like that one bit. He's at the little snack table afterwards uh, where all the other little cult members are, the Pontifex Institute members. And he shows one of the guys a photo of Amanda, says, have you seen this girl around here? He doesn't really answer, kind of shakes his head and, and walks away. James goes off on his own to explore. He like sneaks into a, a little room and kind of does his own exploration of the building. He comes across a room that looks like a hospital, almost like a, a mental uh, institute. It's like a row of beds and he's hearing whispering and clicking. <laughs> It's like that. And sees a group of people, all with shaved heads, sitting cross-legged, staring at a poster on the wall that is just black. There is a recording playing that says, nothing exists. Even if something exists, nothing can be known about it. Even if something is known about it, it cannot be communicated to others. Don't know what the fuck is going on. This is very weird. <laughs> He's moving further into the building and comes upon a group of people sitting in a circle, chanting uh, more kind of phrases like that sort of thing. And he is up on a little balcony, essentially, and is in the shadow so they can't see him, but he makes a noise. He like steps on a piece of glass or something. It makes a, a noise. So they all stop chanting. And they turn in his direction, mm-hmm. but they can't see him. He's he's kind of hidden. He's frozen now, not making a sound. They call out, is someone here with us now? You can show yourself. And they all start blowing into empty bottles. Mm-hmm. And he, they're not looking at him. They're looking at another doorway. Oh, God. And he starts trying to lean over the ledge of the balcony to see what they're looking at. And they're kind of beckoning someone to come towards them. And we hear footsteps happening on the that, the the floor that they're all on. And we almost see someone walk out. But a couple members of the Pontifex Institute turn the lights on at that moment where he is. And they're like, sir, can you come with us? So he doesn't see whatever was happening there. He gets kicked out of the building. They basically just find him, you know, trespassing, essentially. And as he's kicked out, the guy that he showed the photo of Amanda to earlier is in the alley smoking a cigarette. And 
laughs at him. This guy's name is Garrett. Garrett kind of laughs at James and is like, you're not going to get anywhere like that. Not with these people. It's clear that he knows more than he let on in the beginning. Mm. James once again asks about Amanda. She says, he says she's not, she's not here now. She's been here. She's not here now. They've moved her. They've got big plans for her. She's moving up. Oh man. (laughs) And they say, he tells him that he, that they've moved her to this camp near the forest and shows them where it is on a map. And there is this incredible transition from the map to an overhead shot of trees and him driving down the road. I I mean, I'll try to find if just that shot is on YouTube because it's really Mm. a very impressive transition. So he arrives at this camp. There's a couple cabins there. It doesn't seem like there's anyone there. He goes in, he's looking around. There's some file cabinets. He sees that they have files on Amanda and on all of her friends. And he pulls them out. And then he sees that they have a file on him. And he pulls that out and opens it. And it's empty. And he laughs and he's like, you guys are funny. You're fucking with me. Oh, man. And he goes into one of the rooms and there is a a TV and a couple cas- or, or VHS tapes. And he plays one and it's a, a group of the cult members sitting in a circle doing the chanting thing that we've seen before. It's really creepy. Uh, the uh, the way that the lighting is makes their eyes kind of reflect back, so they just look a little alieny. It's very unsettling. And as they're doing this chanting ritual thing, they hear something and turn. And similarly to how we just saw, they kind of say hello. Who's there? Then the camera moves and we can't really see what's happening. And then it just cuts to them holding someone that looks like a man that's naked and really emaciated. And I can't we can't tell if this is one of the cult members or or what's going on. Uh, But the man that they have just pulled into the middle of this circle is is really panting like. Oh, I hate that. I really hate that. And while he's watching this, we see there's bunk beds like there there must be a little dorm in this cabin. And in one of the bunk beds is a teddy bear. He's a little creeped out by the teddy bear. It's all uh, old and kind of an eye. One of its eyes is popped out. It's a very ratty teddy bear. He goes back to watching the, the video. It ends doesn't see much more than that. And he turns back and the teddy bear is gone. Mm. He goes out into the woods. It's getting dark now. He's looking to see if there's any other, I don't know, cabins or something. And he sees a fire in the distance, like a campfire. This is giving me like the ritual vibes. That's like what my brain is picturing. Yeah, it do- this part definitely feels like this feels very reminiscent of the ritual. and he. He's behind trees and stuff, so he's blocked from view of the campfire, but he's moving closer, and we see many of the cult members shuffling in a circle around a big uh, fire pit, and there's probably 
60 of them and they're kind of running around and chanting you can like hear their footsteps and as they're chanting and running in circles around the fire the fire grows bigger and bigger and bigger to a impossible height James looks like he is kind of hypnotized by this and as he's looking, you know, following the flames up into the sky, something comes over him. The s- s- stars above his head start blurring as if he's about to pass out or something, but then it passes and he comes back to and looks down and the fire's out. It's completely black. He can't see. It's completely dark. He like can't see where they all are. And he looks very confused. And then... All the sound no. goes away. Here it is. <sighs> and he just hears a lot of footsteps, but in, in unison. So it's ew, like a like marching. A, and as they get a little closer, he they're lightly illuminated by, I don't know, some starlight. And you can see that they're all marching toward him, but it's unclear if they see him because he's behind, you know, a little bush or something and they might just be, you know, finished with their ritual. But then he steps on a little twig. He needs to not move in these moments. <laughs> mm-hmm. He does too many stepping on little loud things. I know. And he takes a step back and they all take one step <laughs> forward. <laughs> he takes another step back they all take one more step forward and he says, yeah, no, <laughs> he turns and he runs, he runs and they all start chasing him in unison or just a bunch of like, it, it's, it's all just kind of chaotic. Now they're all just running after him. <sighs> he makes it to his car and he's able to, he's able to escape, but they're jumping on his car. Oh my God. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's very scary. He gets away from there and he goes to the police station back to that detective he was with earlier. He has the files that he took, um, on the kids that he gives to them. He's like, I just found these at the campsite and he's really freaking out. The detective doesn't really know what to make of this. And, James is is fully panicking and is like run he goes to Nora's house he's like we're not safe um they have you know files their Amanda's not safe and they you know I don't I want you to be in a hotel cuz obviously they know where you live these people are dangerous so he he takes Nora to a hotel and it, she starts crying and she says like Amanda's dead isn't she and he says no I think the fact that she wasn't under that bridge means she's not dead um, but I think but don't relax. <laughs> I think she probably is in danger. And, uh, I just like want you to be safe. And she said, he says, does she know about us? Uh, Nora says, no. Mm. And then Nora says, do you think maybe we've punished ourselves long enough? And it's like oh, definitely man. this very, oh, here it is. uh, heavy moment between them where they both look ashamed but exhausted and just like emotionally drained he leaves leaves her there and it it cuts again to flashes of his wife and son in the car 
We see the son is tapping a coin on his teeth. That makes more like of the clicking noises Ugh. that we had been hearing. Just a lot of sound design things of this, just like little clicky tappy noises that are very creepy. And now we're seeing for the first time flashes of him with Nora intercut with his wife and son being in the car. And we don't fully see what happens, but we're getting the picture that he was with her. The answer to where were you Cheating. is that he was with Nora. Yeah. So, uh, obviously they are, are feeling very shamed about that, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's haunting him and he once again, shoots up in bed at 3.03 in the morning, looks down his hallway once again. It's like a hallway with his front door at the end of uh, end of the hallway. And there's like a black shape that almost looks like someone has a, a like a duffel bag at the foot of the steps. There's like mm. a couple steps and he's looking at it and it's like, what is that? And obviously, like I didn't put a thing there and it gets up and it like gets bigger like it's standing up and it is that dementor possibly empty man and it does the same floating thing at him and gets to him and we see it's like nasty little bone hands reaching out for him but then once it gets him it disappears and it just like cuts to him alone in the room again like swinging his bat at nothing Whoa! and then the doorbell rings and he opens it and the teddy bear is sitting there. <laughs> I love that because when you're alone in your room and it's dark, you will make any shape. If you're feeling scared, any oh my shape God, yeah. becomes it's something. So the like scary. true panic I've felt seeing something dark in a corner is like. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was little, I remember one time I was sleeping on my parents' floor in their bedroom, which I did a lot. I did that a lot. I did a lot. <laughs> and there was a Barbie that was next to me, but it was in oh the God. dark oh. and the Barbie was like in a weird shape. And I convinced mm -mm. myself it was a tarantula. Uh. I was like, there's a tarantula. Oh, no. There's a tarantula next to me. It's not moving. Amazing how the tarantula is not moving, but I'll just have to sleep next but to this tarantula. Good. It's fine. It's fine. Mm -mm. And waking up in the morning being like, oh, it's a Barbie. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, that's a, reminding me, I have this weird memory of being at somebody else's house and sleeping in a bed that wasn't mine. And this, this did happen. I can't remember where I was, but I remember like turning and seeing a tarantula in the bed <gasps> and like flinging the sheets off and jumping up and like yelling. And then the parents came in of whoever's house it was and like looked around and we couldn't find anything. And I feel like, I don't know, it's like one of those weird memories that I can't tell if it was real, if it was like, mm. was I falling asleep at that right. moment and just kind yeah. of pictured something. Mm -hmm. But it's just weird to not know if it was, if it actually happened or not. Yeah. It's so much easier when you're a kid to completely convince yourself that what you're seeing mm. is real. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this movie does a really good job of everything is really slow in a very scary mm. way. It's like very patient. It holds on these shots. There's a lot of long transition shots that are showing the rainy alleyways or whatever. And so there's a lot of atmosphere building. And so it's just like very tense a lot mm. of the time. 
So now next morning, day three. Oh, no. We see James. He's tailing the Garrett from the cult. He follows him and a couple of the other cult members to a hospital. And he's, you know, 20 feet behind them, following them, spying on them. And they go into a hospital room with a man like hooked up to a bunch of machines, uh, possibly in a coma. And they all form a little half circle around the guy, drop to their knees and start bowing. Hmm. We get a little closer and we see it is Paul from the opening sequence. (gasps) Like whatever, 23 years older and looking really thin and emaciated like he is dying. (gasps) Whoa. Wait, did the cult just start after that happened? Was the cult from that? Or did the cult exist before that happened? They said they they said it established in 2013. Oh, which mm, was way after. And it's 2018 in at this time in the movie. So it's been around for five okay. years. Okay. There will be unanswered questions right, in that's this fine. film. That's I'm kind of into that. <laughs> uh, so after they leave the hospital, James abducts Garrett. He like pepper sprays him and forces him into the car. He gets him alone, drives him to a abandoned little parking lot or alley or somewhere away from anybody else. And he's basically like, all right, you need to tell me what the fuck is going on right now. He has a gun. James has a gun. He's a retired cop. So it doesn't make sense for him to have a gun. Mm-hmm. Garrett. Uh, oh, he says like, who is that guy? Garrett tells him he's an antenna. He transmits. We receive. Oh, poor Paul. Oh, man. Uh, Not good. James is increasingly frustrated with these kind of cryptic things that he doesn't understand. He's like, has the gun to his head and is like, say that's something that fucking makes sense or I swear to God. Garrett is saying, thought is communicable. The noosphere that they're saying the biosphere is, is some, this I was in the Stephen Root part where they talk about the biosphere being everything related to form and bio, like uh, animals and humans and, and plants. And they talk about the noosphere as being the actual nothingness of life or, or something like that. So Garrett is saying thought is communicable. The noosphere is the sum of all consciousness, not just human consciousness, but other minds too. ancient and angry. And the only reality is that there is no reality. James starts rubbing his temples like he's having a migraine and that kind of blurring thing that happened earlier with the stars is starting to happen again. Garrett sees this and laughs and says, you're coming down with him already and you don't even know it. He says, you've got the itch in your brain. Uh, James says, I'm so sick of your shit. I grew up in San Francisco. Here it is. Here it is. (laughs) His favorite line. And he says, just tell me where Amanda is. He says, she's on the bridge. He says, what bridge? And Garrett starts laughing again and says, haven't you been listening, man? There is no bridge. And James just starts punching him over and over and over as Garrett is laughing and laughing, blood spraying from his face. <sighs> Cut to James going back to the cabin, I think, or or the or, or just the files that he had, that file on himself, which is now full somehow. Mm-hmm. It's like, what the fuck? And he sees 
newspaper clippings of his wife and son dying and an article entitled Growing Up in San Francisco. Ah. He's like, what? He's like, what the fuck? And then he sees the coupon for the free piece of cake cake (gasps) at the restaurant he was at the beginning. And it's just like, how do you how do you have this? Like, what? is going on and then he sees a photo that seems to be of himself sitting naked in that chair that he's been seeing a little bit in his flashes of in his dreams. Oh my god. He goes back to the hospital, he wants to talk to that guy in the bed or like I don't know try to find out more there. He goes to the hospital, it's weirdly pretty empty. There's just one nurse working. He says, I need, uh, he's like, I'm a, I'm a cop. He shows whatever his old badge or something. And is like, I need to know everything about that man in there. She says, uh, sir, I can't divulge patient information. And he's like, oh, can you just tell me how long he's been here? And she says, he's been here longer than I have been here. He asks her uh, if he's been on life support. She tells him he's not. He says, isn't that strange or something about the like, like he's not in a coma, but he's just not waking up. He's like, is that common? Like everything is working on his own. But she's like, no, it's it's not common at all. Hmm. And she starts speaking in a way that feels really sinister. (laughs) Like it's slowly the things that she is saying feel less and less like a nurse at their place of work and more starting to sound a little cryptic again some some of that type of language creeping in and this actress was like incredible at in this scene her name is Phoebe Nichols I just had to I had to look it up because I was like she is fucking killing this um she tells him that he gets a lot of visitors and she it's 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 not even that she's saying cryptic things it's more her tone changes from one of a nurse on her break or whatever to like really sinister. And she's like, he gets a lot of visitors. There's actually one in there with him right now. Maybe that's the person you want to be talking to, to that type of thing where it's just like, okay, what the fuck is going on? Uh, so he goes in to the rooms. He's walking in there and we see that the person that's in there with him right now is Amanda. Ooh, okay. She's sitting on top of him, trimming his beard. Oh. Tending to him. James asks her who he is. And we're starting to feel like confused about reality at this point. Like, I feel like he kind of keeps having these little headaches and things are just not normal Mm -hmm. like why is nobody else in this hospital right now is Mm -hmm. this even a hospital like we're just really not sure what's going on and amanda is talking very casually like it's not a like she hasn't been missing for a while she's just like hey (laughs) and she's been missing for longer than three days right i mean i don't think so i think i think the it was the first day that she went missing okay okay but he asks who this man is. She says, you can call him whatever you want. I call him a carrier because the things that he 
carries do kind of feel like a disease. It can be contagious. You can infect others with it, but also he's a carrier and we're receivers. We, we, we receive his messages. He is like, I'm calling your mom right now. This is crazy. Where have you been? Like, do you think this is funny? Is this a joke to you? What's, what's going on? And she's being real cool as a cucumber about it. She's like, yeah, call her, do whatever you got to do. And he calls Nora. We hear her answer. She says, you know, he, he's like, Nora, it's James. I found Amanda. Nora goes, who? Like, what? who is this? She's and- like, it's James. It's me, James. <laughs> and Nora's like, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. I like, I think you have the wrong number. And he's like, is this Nora Quayle? And she's like, yes. And he's like, it's James. And she's like, I'm, I don't know who you are. Like, I'm so sorry. I think you must be confused. And she hangs up. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Amanda is still calmly, delicately trimming Paul's beard. He says he's weakening and we need to find a replacement. And <gasps> James is the replacement. <laughs> And she's like, but he didn't actually uh, last as long as we would have liked. He was only 20 or so years. The The carrier before him was about 500 years. Um, so we did something a little radical and we're trying to think outside of the box. And so we decided to make a carrier. And he's again looking at her like what are you talking about what's going on she says it's getting hard to tell what's real and what isn't real isn't it and he indeed is having flashes where it's like jump cutting in the room like reality is splitting a bit and he's you know clutching his head again doesn't know what's happening and she says i bet you i bet you think i don't know about you and my mom and he looks like he's caught. He's embarrassed. And she's like, not only did I know, I wrote it because I created you and you were born three days ago. And I wrote the whole script of your life. Whoa. And <laughs> what? Real, really didn't see this coming, right? Wait, what? <laughs> Wait. And she says, we created you. Uh, you're our, our tulpa, you know, thought plus concentration plus repetition equals flesh. And we've been using all of our collective consciousness to conjure you. Okay. And what the fuck? Right. <laughs> Wait, what the f- actual fuck? When um, we, when we first met Amanda and she's on the bridge, mm-hmm. was she already part of the cult then or was she just yes because okay. that's the first thing she said to him was like i have i found something so great like reality isn't real none of it's real and she was speaking what seemed like at the time kind of nonsensically to him oh my and god and she did say he's like i don't know what you're talking about and she says yes you do oh and it, in god. the moment feels very strange and we don't understand it and it's still strange and we don't totally understand it now either. i can see why this movie would be better on the second viewing mm-hmm. knowing that is really interesting yes and i think it's such a it, it goes such a different direction in the third act than you're expecting that i think a lot of people were really annoyed by it because oh, it goes I from like feeling that. 
I like it too, but it goes from being like what feels almost like a, like a murder mystery horror thriller into this gets into like full existential cosmic horror now. I love that. I want existential. Give that to me. But a lot of people (laughs) were not as happy. But so she's, yeah, just revealing the whole story, which we don't, you know, fully understand. But so she so her mom really is Nora. Yes. And but she didn't really go missing. She was part of the cult from the beginning. We don't know how she joined the cult or why that's going on. But we know that they fucking conjured him like he didn't exist as a human being at all. Correct. And that photo of him like naked in the chair is, well, we're going to go through a little bit more stuff here. So, okay, let's see. She says, wouldn't it, she can see how much he's struggling with this and he's essentially looks like he's glitching, like his vision is blurring and he's having a really hard time. And she's kind of says, wouldn't it be easier to just let go? And his face kind of like vibrates and it's blurry and it's like, what the fuck is going on? And then it cuts to him in the room with the chair. He's looking around and we're hearing the same chanting that we heard from that circle when he was uh, sneaking around the Pontifex Institute, where it says, from his thoughts come the dreams, from the dreams come the power, from the power comes the bridge, from the bridge comes the man, from the man comes the thoughts, from his thoughts come the dreams, basically like loops in this Jesus over Christ. and over. And he follows the sound of that chanting out of this room with the chair and we see it's the exact same moment. So they all stop and they say, is someone here with us now? Mm. And so he is slowly walking out towards that mm. circle of people as he gets to the edge of the uh, hallway that he's like walking out of. He turns to look up to where he is and he sees himself. And mm. it's the moment of right before he gets pulled out. So he goes, he he pulls himself back in. At right as other James is turning to look at him so they don't he doesn't see him. I don't know. This part is a little confusing because this is also like now we're moving around in time. I think you can't like get we can't get too in the weeds about it, but it is very effectively creepy. Mm. So now he move, he goes back, retreats into the room with the chair and we see behind the chair is the skeleton that was in the cave in the beginning. The skeleton. Okay. He's staring at it and it gets up and Mm-mm. the little cloak no. appears and this is the empty man. Mm-hmm. And we have been told that the empty man needs a vessel. And there's a lot of weird. Di- I didn't like obviously write down everything. I think there's a lot of attention paid to detail in this movie. So it's that's also why it's fun rewatching. They spent a lot of time explaining how we are connected to the empty man, but not a lot of time explaining how the empty man Mm -hmm. like operates at all. Like Mm -hmm. why that empty man even exists to begin with. Right. And it it probably goes back to Stephen Root's um, whole explanation Mm -hmm. of being like, what matters more, the thing or the gibberish? Mm -hmm. And that was the part that really scrambled my brain where Mm -hmm. I was like, what do you mean? What do you mean? The the gibberish? What does the gibberish mean? And I guess that's the empty man. 
It's the, the empty, empty man. Gibberish. And it's kind of like feels like chaos and I don't know. Yeah, it's very interesting. I don't, I, mm-hmm. I can't say I get mm-hmm. it, but it's more, I feel like I just really enjoy the feelings that it gives me this like feeling of existential dread and fear. And it just is really it's crazy. It's, it's, and I just confusion. Really, and confusion. And I just didn't see this coming at all. <laughs> no, me either. Uh, so he is pursued by the empty man who eventually gets inside of him. But then James is still himself. Like he he basically stands up like he's still trying to fight the empty man. But it's like the empty man's gone now and he's inside of you. <laughs> but you seem to still be yourself. So he's looking terrified, doesn't know where to, <laughs> to go from here. He goes back to his house, which he doesn't have. The keys aren't working for that. So he has to break in. It's an empty house. Nobody lives there. Oh, my God. What the fuck? And as he's here, this is intercut now with flashes of the wife and son again. Where were you? And we're getting the full picture now that they were at Nora's husband's funeral. And James stayed back with her because she's so upset. And like you see him like saying bye to his wife and son being like, I'll meet you at home. Like, I'm just going to make sure she's okay." Stays with her after everyone leaves the wake at her house. And it's just the two of them. And he's comforting her while she's crying. And they're drinking alcohol and just slowly become... It becomes they're kissing each other and they have sex and we see the wife and son driving home and I can't remember exactly what happens, but the mom's turning around for a second and then when she turns back something, it's not like supernatural or anything. There's like maybe a deer there or something and she swerves and they're on a bridge and she crashes off the bridge. So we're seeing the the full picture is... Yeah, something that would certainly haunt you <laughs> afterwards. Does it seem like that was the first time they had sex? Also, does it seem like any of this is real or was it created by Amanda? It's, yeah, it's not. I don't think it's real. I think she says something about how they needed him to feel these negative emotions in order to be a better vessel for the empty man. Again, I don't. I don't remember exactly what they said. I think there's like very vague explanations of this, but yeah, none of this, none of this did happen, but that's like, they, okay. I, there's, they, she does kind of allude to him needing this tragic backstory because they tried this once before and it didn't work out with someone without a, like with just like a, a regular guy. And I don't know why they've pin, sure, pinpointed sure. needing the also fear. how old is amanda is amanda like forty hundred thousand years old no she's 18 <laughs> and i don't understand necessarily the the origin of the cult i don't know if paul was the first conduit paul only lasted yeah they said he only lasted what 20 years or something and last person yeah. lasted 500 years yeah 500 yeah 500 i don't know i don't know Okay. So, yeah, I think he's just playing through all his memories in his head, feeling both guilt and also 
maybe potentially realizing none of it actually happened. His just whole, his whole like worldview is collapsing off, which uh, it would in this situation. And there is light coming out from a room in his house. So he moves toward it, opens the door and he's now in Paul's hospital room. Uh, and he pulls out a gun and he's crying, I think. And he shoots Paul in the head a bunch of times, unloads the clip into Paul's head. Whoa. The blood splatter sprays up in a way that mirrors drawings we've seen on the empty man earlier. I didn't, I didn't mention them, but it looks like a prophecy type of thing coming true. It's uh, visually the same as things that we've seen before. And he walks out of the hospital room back in the hospital. Now it looks like there's a bunch of hospital employees working and they all turn and look at him. There's a moment of us being like, Oh, is none of this real? Did he just like kill someone in an actual hospital Mm. and is now going to go to jail? But all the hospital workers turn to him, drop to their knees and start bowing. (gasps) Oh, Jesus. And they say, you transmit we receive, you transmit, we receive, you transmit, we receive. And you see his little eyes shaking again, that little like blurring effect. And that's the end of the movie. (laughs) What? (laughs) What is he transmitting? So, okay, I... Like, what messages did Paul bring to other people? I feel like it's like just a very negative message it's like chaos and uh, the 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 little clues i have is when garrett says the consciousness is not just human consciousness there's ancient angry consciousness there as well and so I i i think he's transmitting the empty man's thoughts but also He's transmitting the thoughts nihilism? is nothingness. I think, yeah, it's like nihilism and like going towards the abyss and just being like, yeah, there's nothing. And we got to infect the whole world with our nothingness. It's dark. <laughs> I think it's very hard to pull off having so many unanswered questions and certainly I can see why people would be frustrated with it, but I also enjoy thinking about it and reading about it. And I definitely don't have all the answers. And it's a, like I said, it's a really detailed movie. So I'm sure I, I left stuff out that other people would have caught. That's maybe important. It's that kind of movie where it's like, there's a lot of details in every line. I don't know, but I liked it. (laughs) Yeah, I liked it too. I liked it because it was surprising and really carefully done and also deals with like the scariest things we can think about, which is the emptiness of the universe. Well, and also the fact, like, what if I don't exist? What if my reality is not Mm -hmm. real? Mm -hmm. Like our protagonist is conjured. Yeah, he is. Memories are just being created as we're seeing them, the audience members. Yeah, exactly. And so in that first talk he has with Amanda, when she's like, 
or he like insists like, no, nah, things are real. Like I've felt them. I've lived them. I've had experiences that are real. He's and it's wrong. like, you know, you haven't, my dude. <gasps> He's wrong. Oh no. And that's pretty terrifying. Mm. But at the same time, I've previously been very soothed by some other, not that this is a Buddhist principle, but there's Buddhist uh, influences in here with the tulpa and that sort of thing. And uh, tulpa is a real thing. I mean, a real concept, I guess. And I feel like I've previously been. What is, what is tulpa? Is it? It's, this? it's like a con it's, he's a tulpa. So okay. that, that's at the end. They're like, you're our tulpa. Okay. And there, I saw, I read something about how there were randomly like three other movies that came out at this time or pieces of media rather that also had tulpas. And the only one I remember was the, the Twin Peaks final season also had like a tulpa storyline in it. And it's just kind of interesting. I guess that happens a lot in movies where it's like now all the movies have tulpas in them. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm, I'm reading about it right now. It says, um, material is materialized being of, thought form materialized yeah. being or thought form typically in human form that is created through spiritual practice and intense concentration it's a really wild concept but what a cool way to explore it through a horror movie like from the pov of a tulpa is like such a <laughs> interesting idea. way to have done it and yeah something that feels very new and uh original i guess Oh, oh, but it, is, it also is based on a graphic novel, and I'm curious oh. to read the graphic novel now because I'm, I feel like it's just such a interesting concept. I don't like. I don't know. It was no. I'm sure it'll be a spooky. spooky it's novel. very scary. <laughs> I really liked it though. I liked it too. And oh, listeners, we did lose emily at some point in here i guess mm -hmm. we never <laughs> I noticed. Uh, she's gone <laughs> yeah she had to leave she was very upset um but don't worry we'll t we'll tell her the ending mm -hmm. i know that if this actually happened to me it would not feel good i know <laughs> that but there's another part of me that's like if i woke up tomorrow and someone said all of your memories and experiences weren't real. There's a part of me that wants to be like, okay. That's what I think I was trying to articulate early with like some of the other Buddhist principles where it's like nothing matters. And I'm like, that's kind of nice. Like, right. It's attractive. I think, but if that really happened, that would be deeply upsetting. Yeah, certainly. Uh, but there was even a moment that I was reminded of everything everywhere all at once of like the, the bagel. Did you ever see it, by the way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw it. I saw it. Of the, like, bagel of nihilism. Yes. Uh, I was, like, feeling like that is kind of the empty man. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> but there's no, there's no Michelle Yeoh to pull us out from it. It's just the bagel Suck wins. Sucking us into it. <laughs> the bagel's winning. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think nihilism as a concept can be really comforting when you are removed enough from it mm -hmm. but then you know if i was actually shot into space and was flying through deep into the universe as we know it exists right now sitting here today i can tell you this is not a 
this is not a magical concept. This is a real concept, which is that there is a lot of fucking nothing out there. Mm-hmm. And I could technically be shot into it. Yeah. That could happen. Yeah. Actually. I don't think I'd be feeling pretty chill in that moment. I don't think that I would be no. like in my spacesuit hurtling through nothingness, feeling good, being like, Meh, it's nothingness. No. You no, know? No, definitely. But then not. there's another part of me that's more removed from it, more like thinking about it metaphorically, <laughs> being mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. Eh, that's kind of comforting, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nothing matters. I don't know. Maybe those are two different things, but. It's, yeah, I think they I think they are. It's like a lot of very big concepts, but that's why I'm just like I liked it's a it's a good one to talk about because I don't know what I think and I don't know if we're getting to the bottom of anything, but I just think it's fun to try and yeah. think about our feelings about existing. <laughs> oh, I don't like it. I don't know. I, do. I know there are I mean, I remember used to get Derealization again. This is like mm. another separate thing, Holding but I feel like they're cubes. kind of <laughs> yeah, but they're kind of you know cousins of mm-hmm. uh, nothingness, which or just like questioning your own reality. And I would feel like I was in a video game, and it wasn't mm. scary, and I wasn't I didn't feel scared during those moments. There's depersonalization and derealization, and I think depersonalization in general, people are more scared by it's where you think you don't exist and then derealization which is what i had is where you think the world isn't real Mm. i don't know there's like this is just a very basic uh summary of those two things but i i would have that feeling of kind of like oh if it's a video game what do i care (laughs) right But that's so interesting too because you also know your feelings aren't real and so you're like if you're feeling scared like really yeah. scared, that doesn't mean it's more real. It's just a feeling. You know? It's blowing my mind. <laughs> it's scary to think about that. <laughs> it's all just little stardust. Mm-hmm. It's all stardust just mm-hmm. making mm-hmm. little synapses in your head. why you guys listen to this podcast is for deep thoughts um, where we're clearly philosophical experts who understand the world really well starting 2024 our 2024 is our philosophy era well i'm <laughs> going to start a book club where i don't care if we're reading you guys gonna read some plato chicken soup for the soul <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna read plato yes <laughs> wow but i'm happy that we got to do this movie i really i really liked it and i think it has gotten more of a kind of cult following if you will Mm -hmm. uh since being on hulu and having good word of mouth but i think it is also divisive and i can see how it would rub people the wrong way if you like answers to questions (laughs) and not just more questions Mm -hmm. you might be dissatisfied but i'm kind of into more questions i like kind of spiraling down the rabbit hole a bit Me too me too i like it too it's a fun thought experiment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Should we try to make a tulpa? Yes. <laughs> All of our listeners. Is this where we start a cult? All of our listeners. How does that work? How does it work? I think it's usually a human vessel. We're creating a person from our thoughts. So it can't be an existing person it ha- or an existing thing. We have to conjure it from nothing with our thoughts. 
sounds really hard. But I believe in us. <laughs> it <laughs> sounds like me. It's like next week on Bravo. Can this group <laughs> of uncanny <laughs> friends create a Tulpa? <laughs> Tune in next week to find out. 8 p.m., 7 p.m. Central. <laughs> oh, audiences are going to be on the edge of their seats for this one. Um, thank you for spiraling down this rabbit hole with me, Henley. Anytime. Yeah, I'm going to be thinking about this one for a while, and I probably will rewatch it a couple more times over the years. Like, I truly think, again, no, I said it a hundred times. I think that opening sequence is. So scary. Mm-hmm. I think the cult around the fire pit scene is so scary. And I think when there's the figure in his hallway that moves, that really scary. It had like three of three genuinely extremely scary moments. And there's not really any jump scares in this movie. Like all of the scares are done. They're like the opposite of jump scares. They're like very slow. Mm and drawn out and just sitting in it. And I think it's much scarier than a jump scare. (sighs) So uh, this one will be sticking with me for a while. Thank you, Sammy. Starting 2024 off right with a little existential crisis. Good. What better way to kick off a new year? than questioning our own realities. (laughs) Yeah. So what voice will we do? to say goodbye Mm. can either do a chant or a clicky clicky or maybe a little combo of both (laughs) not too much much of it though not too much it's scarier it's scarier than that i wish i'm it's because i'm trying to find it but i'm not finding it (laughs) from from all of us here at too scary didn't watch thank you my friends for listening to another episode of too scary didn't watch if you had fun hanging with us don't forget to subscribe rate and review on apple podcasts and spotify we're also on twitter and instagram at tsdw podcast and if you're interested in things like bonus episodes video trailer reactions and other cool content head on over to patreon.com slash tsdw podcast all right we love you all forever and ever starting a while ago and continuing into eternity adios that was a headgum podcast